Kia ora tfano, and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, we have the full complement of the team here today. Yay, Matt uh, made it. Yeah, he did. Uh, Arch, Matt, myself, Tash, and Jeremy. And we're also joined by Tom Gill and Hella uh, Vestergaard from Studio Nord here uh, in person at Core House, their project and home in Greylin, Auckland. Um, Tom, Hella, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and about the Co-House project? So we're both, um, we're both um, experienced architects. Um, we've worked in um, and been registered in New Zealand, UK, Denmark um, over the last 20 years, I suppose. We met in London um, and then started a family and moved to Copenhagen, um, spent a number of years in Copenhagen living um, in some pretty nice places in the city and um, and um, after coming back to New Zealand um, a bit over 10 years ago uh, and and um, getting reacquainted with the the housing options um, in New Zealand compared to um, the UK London and particularly Copenhagen and Denmark um, sort of having a having a, a a disillusionment with with what was possible and 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 available in New Zealand, and got interested in the idea of trying to do something more along the lines of what we'd experienced overseas. Fair to say, Helen. Yep, very much that you know the the benefits of living uh, compact with shorter distances to things. And living collectively and more <clears throat> with greater density, but um, still in housing that has high levels of quality, so density and quality at the same time, um, and social relations. We we did um, we lived in a, a rental uh, apartment in Copenhagen, which is um, you know it sounds sort of sounds straightforward, but it was an entire building of of people who had been renting there, some of them for their whole lives. And it was a little community, even though we were just, there was a landlord and we were paying rent. And it was a nice building and it had a little courtyard and um, things worked beautifully. And what, um, what defines Cohouse? What makes it different from just any other medium density um, um, living mode? Maybe we should ask what it is first, if you could describe it for our listeners. Yeah. Well, Cohouse... Um, is the name for um, this this housing um, block that we've developed with um, people that we that we good friends that we've known for a long time and friends that we met and people that who came who joined together to to to, um, to create this. It's 20, 20 um, dwellings, twenty units from flats, um, house um, townhouses, and there's a there's also a standalone house which was. Here before, which is also part of it. So there's about 50 people living here, about 20 kids in, in that 50, 20 households. And the key thing about co-house is that it is a, a co-housing project, which is a collaborative self-built housing. So in a sense, we're no different to your average Kiwi building their own house, like commissioning, designing, funding, and building their own house, except that we're actually 20 houses joining together to do that with all the obviously complexity that that entails. But it means that you get um, a medium density housing, which is 
um, done by the people for themselves. Mm -hmm. So the incentives come from within, um, not from third parties, developers, consultants, contractors, which is, after all, how um, everything is done in New Zealand for housing of any scale. Just to talk about money for a second, how much do you think overall that would have saved you, that approach, as a collective? Well, the, you know, the, the standard answer is you save the margin, mm -hmm. you save the mm -hmm. developer's margin, which is, um, you know, 20 to 30% in theory. Um, it doesn't work that way in reality. Uh, but what you get instead is, um, I think, very, you get very high quality housing for similar money. Okay. So you get... You get a lot of money spent on things which are simply don't get, don't get delivered um, in, in developer bills um, because it's, it's directed in the way that people actually want. And we make the decisions about how we spent money that we had. It um, also meant that it was the closest chance for, you know, for, for lots of people here, the thought of buying a site, building a house, building your own home, uh, you know that is not a that's not an easy thing to find the money for get the opportunity to here i guess there are people living here that wouldn't have had that opportunity on their own this is then a way where they have felt involved and felt they had a chance to influence and be part of building mm -hmm. a home uh, for themselves obviously there's a framework that needed to be agreed on and so on but you know, the, the feel of being part of signing off and having different plan versions and so on uh, presented and have to have a chance to have a say. I think that has meant an awful lot to lots of the people mm. that lives here that you, you know, you feel it is your home uh, because you have been part of that process. How difficult was that framework to set up? I imagine that's because that's not a normal architect's job. So, um, if there's such thing as a normal architect, um, there's, because I understand ownership and banks and all of that would have been pretty tough, I would have thought. You're right that there's obviously, in when you end up having first a couple of interested parties spreading the words around, some friends that gets interested and you start to get more people from further out that gets interest. I, it was important to have the group there before we could sign off and start the build process. Um, but you really have to, you have to mentally step um, into the role of developer mm -hmm. like, and all that entails um, because developers, um, developers make decisions. That's their, that's their key, their key role um, constantly, you know, every day um, in order to move a project forward. So, um, as an architect, you have to, or as architects or whoever is in the project, someone's got to step into that role. And um, we were just, um, one of the things that worked well is that us and the other lead family, who, um, David, who you met out there, and his wife, David's um, an academic, and he's, he was able, he had the expertise to build financial models. Um, and he's also... Um, as it turns out, qu quite a good, um, a very good sense of um, pragmatic costing and and value. 
So um, when you have when you have people with that skill base and then our skill base, which is design, practicality, um, functionality, maintenance, um, you know, aesthetics, then you have a, a combination that can work um, as a to to, to to provide that developer um, skill set or mo- or move into that developer skill set, um, and we. And and we learnt I mean, all the stuff about getting getting funding, and we learnt that on the job. <laughs> but we knew we we you know we, we we've all done enough building projects of different sorts to know um, what the big picture issues are, you know, and what to and what to get onto early. So we were you know talking to banks from the get go, um, and we were really focused on tightly controlling costs from the get-go um, so um, and and trying also I think I think this is also important um, not to be um, overly utopian about it um, that we saw so many projects just fail um, or so many co-housing projects you know kind of do well initially and and um, so much hope and so much so much effort and, and money and then they often don't get there. Why do you think that is? <clears throat> I think that um, utopianism is risky mm-hmm. um, and these alternative housing projects often attract people who do have utopian um, sort of drivers. You know, they really want to change the world and they think that they can do it this way. Um, so they have um, sort of hope, expectations that are quite difficult to achieve you, when you get through to the, to the sticky end. Um, I think that the architecture of projects like this, when you look at developments that do succeed, you know, developers that do work, developers that do build a lot of housing, um, they are extremely focused and pragmatic um, over most of what they do. And I think the architecture has to come at it from that angle as well. You know, and, and if you then find some headroom to um, some sort of financial headroom or, or, or architectural um, um, excess where you can explore some nice things, go for it. But you've got to first of all make sure that all your ducks are in a row and that you're getting the basics right. It's funny as you say that I'm locking up the doors of your dining room here and I see flowers and um, banana plants and children playing and this beautiful arrangement around the courtyard of three-storey built um, form and it looks pretty utopian from this angle. (laughs) (laughs) And I was wondering if it's starting to feel like that to you now or if you can still feel what you perceive to be the shortcomings or the difficulties of the process? Uh, we, well, what you're t- saying about the garden is, is true. The garden's been a, been a wonder, you know, even, I mean, it, 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 is, it was part of the essential diagram from the start mm-hmm. that we wanted to build around the boundaries to create a private courtyard that was as, as big as we could possibly achieve while still getting an acceptable number of units to make it go around money-wise um, and to um, achieve our sort of our, our, our community goal was we wanted to get over 12 
um, uh, over 12 households to ensure sort of a functioning, um, a functioning um, collaborating community, like two, two fewer households and these things don't tend to work very well because the dynamics can, can go wrong. Mm-hmm. So we needed, we, we decided, we, we realized we needed to get over 12 um, and that drove us to look for reasonably big sites and then, but then you finally find yourself with a site and the site does then drive mm-hmm. um, what you what you are mm-hmm. able to do. Mm-hmm. But then it is old, I guess there is the, in the explanation of what is co-housing, it is, you know, we all own our own homes here, but instead of everyone having a teeny tiny backyard and the car parked right outside your front door, the main difference in the layout of the site is that the cars are all at the edge of the perimeter site uh, you walk to your front door it can I remember reading about one of the, the first co-house project in Denmark in in the early 70s that you know someone saying that's the main thing is it can take an awful long time to get to your front door because of all the little chats you need to have with your <laughs> locals but that's the main I guess one of the real big pluses that you live with a community doesn't mean we live in each other's homes uh, but we know who our neighbors are and i think that is a big difference from living down in a big apartment block or uh, without any shared mm. facilities or spaces or gardens or when you have your own standalone house you can live in a street and not have an idea about who actually mm. else live there you never see them because they get in you get into your car on the drive take off uh, we had that experience the first year we were here that there were people we didn't see until the year after for the next street christmas party despite the fact we walked to school every day um, and that feel of having knowing your neighbor uh, is, is a good feel. Mm. Um, and I think that's the main thing that instead of having each our own little garden, doesn't mean we don't still have our area of the garden that we feel quite protected or, or you take more charge over, but by not having strong fence and boundaries, it means we all have so much more. You know, we mm. have a big communal vegetable garden and instead of i used to have a vegetable garden that could that i love being able to do stuff in but also often feel guilty and just look at the weeds and when you don't have time to do something about it here i can put the effort in when i have the time Mm -hmm. uh, in a better way and i can still enjoy produce that i haven't necessarily planted myself but then i have helped with the weeding yeah i mean here we, we our common spaces are in a way like a, a really high functioning public space, which and which is where a lot of people put effort into it. So you're constantly getting the benefit of other people's, you know, time and, and effort and, and, and creativity, and they're getting the benefit of your time and effort and creativity mm-hmm. as well. So there's a lot of layering and constant building up of an enjoyable environment, which is ongoing. Is that organized or is it organic? Yeah. So it's, it's organized, like mm. we have worked at it. Um, a lot and and we we we've got a great bunch of people here um you know we uh, we've been i mean we've been fortunate um in many ways um to 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 have the the people that we live with um but it's also it's not completely like 
it's not accidental that um, that a housing initiative like this will tend to self-select people who are interested, who are willing mm. to, to make these efforts. But I think that what you're saying, Heller, about knowing your neighbour and stuff, and and it's just so sort of um, um, sort of depressing that the the whole trajectory of housing development in New Zealand society or or you know Australian society in general is to make things more private. Mm. Is to and the and the and the value of what most people create or develop or build or design or do for themselves is about increasing privacy hmm. and isolation I mean isolation is the negative spin-off but what people think that they're doing is giving themselves more and more private space and therefore it's better and more valuable and that's what apartments are designed around you know minimizing contact between um, people minimizing acoustic you know acoustic separations and and all of that and um, it's it's sort of it's quite crushing um, at, a, at, a, at a big spiritual level that and that all the effort is is going into that, and um, and going the other way where you sort of pull out carefully pull out some of the boundaries, and then um, adjust and observe and work on the the interactions that occur or the, the or the interfaces that occur is far more difficult and far more subtle but far more rewarding mm-hmm. I think to the people who who are living there. That, that's what our experience is. You know, that these soft boundaries are a bit tricky, um, and you can't just sort of put it in and forget about it. You've actually got to keep, you know, you've got to keep assessing it and keep an eye on the health of everything mm. and how people are feeling about it. Hmm. Has it surprised some people? You, you will have arrived here and had a fair idea of how it would have it was going to work. There would be a lot of people who were involved who didn't have that insight. It would have been a big leap of faith for them. And there's some people who um, you know, surprised them either way, either in a negative or a positive way. I think that almost everybody has been positively surprised at how you know how how it gets better to live here. Um, a lot of it's to do with the landscaping, mm-hmm. um, because when we came, when people first started living in here, there was literally a pile of clay out there. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty harsh, hmm. and some people were struggling with that, with the with the sort of the feeling of being um, being on show and having sight lines into each other's mm. flats, and because everything was just bare. Yep. And um, those yeah, feelings. There, were cla- there was definitely for some the feel uh, of <laughs> I'd like to put up a fence, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So which was very much. I mean that that's part of the whole development that of course that was not what to do but it did feel quite daunting to have you know you, we all need privacy mm. but having had the greenery come up which we keep adjusting and so on and it we, is so much better uh, you know that's really one of the main things it's actually the framework of the architectures there we just needed the soft green touch to and to help us make it that bit more friendly. Mm-hmm. And, and that often happens on any on any building mm-hmm. project, you exactly. know. Yeah. Uh, but but perhaps here because you know you you're living collectively, that um, I guess it's a, a little uh, uh, starker that contrast. Yeah. yeah, and obviously that was one to learn for all of us to work out where where it took a little bit more time to 
work out how to live together, you know, mm-hmm. if you can put it that way of that sort of, you know, there are, the adults won't go around the back of our unit, but there's kind of, you know, it's it's open. The kids can run around and there's the, the, the child hour there between five and six or something where they seem to have some energy to run off where there are times <laughs> where you feel like, gee, they can be a bit noisy, but then it's also, just lovely to actually look out and look at all the young kids who are out hanging out playing and have friends right here without mm. having had their mom and dad organize a play date where you know I have had plenty of with with uh, three boys I've had plenty of times where you had the struggle of trying to cook dinner at the same time as it was the grumpy hour and mm. so on where here it's more, they might get a little bit wild, uh, you know, there will be a bit of excitement uh, in a game. It's, I wish we had been part of this when our kids were younger and that mm. they had grown up with it instead of uh, not making it until they were teenagers. Mm. Um, because it's definitely, there's no doubt that the, the younger members, no, they just it's, love it. it's, it's mm. great for them, you know, that, mm. um, and that's easy to appreciate, you know, to take the little bit more noise when you also know you can be allowed to make your noise later on. Or <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit about um, the process for you as architects? Because you're wearing a number of hats throughout this very long project. Did you have to, was it a different um, experience for you from, say, a regular building project? Very, very, very much. Yeah. <laughs> You're sort of doing a multi-unit, which is usually, yeah, and you've written about this, the, the, the user is anonymous. Um, we've all done houses where you know that you know the user intimately and it's customised and you're in this funny middle. You have a pretty complicated group of stakeholders through the design process, I imagine. And you're the developer. And the developer. And we were building our home. Exactly. Yes, it, it was a time of pretty stressful. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it did feel that it was our whole life that was put into the same pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, but I think I think that it's not like this is, this is not without precedent. This is, I mean, in many ways, we, we're turning back the clock, um, I think, to, to, um, to older ways of city building. Um, is with so much control as we were able to have, then you become more like a master builder, mm. um, where you are taking every decision or being part of every decision across the way, and you know the cost consequences and you know the design consequences, you know the consequences for the residents. Um, so, um, I think it's 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 very it's very enveloping, but it's very empowering as well. Yeah. Um, and um, the and but the truly tricky thing is what you're saying, um, Arch, about the about who your client is or who the owner is. And we had to, in a way, construct, be part of construct building the client body, you know, as a functioning decision-making entity. The group, you know, we call it the group, and the group does have a legal structure and it does have. It had to have processes and it had to have authority and hierarchy and or not, you know, all of that mm. had to be decided. Mm. Um, and 
once we had done that, then or having with that, you do get the ability to to move forward and to and to um, to build for somebody, you know, to build for an entity. Um, There's a lot of trust that does need to be part of it, and I think that is where you are asking why does some project fall apart? I think you know you are going like building your own home is for anyone a stressful um, experience, and here we have had that both you know it's lovely to have people to share it with but it's also challenging sometimes obviously when you have lots of people to share and agree with come to agreements with and that has been the learning process um, through the whole development it does mean that we have had a lot of meetings and you can definitely get meeting fatigue and that is an ongoing thing too of working out the balance between how much or how little how best to communicate um, which is different from if you have your own place and i decide when i'm doing yeah. what and what piles i'm leaving and when i'm uh, tidying up but, but i think there's also an, a fantastic opportunity in these projects for for architects um who are who are um, who are who are sort of built in a certain way that um, if you, if we're not concerned so much about the individual interiors or the the bespoke design solution to a particular individual's problems, then we're more interested in what works for the entire group of people, um, for the entire community. And um, I love that part of it. I thought that was just brilliant. You know, to try and um, come up with design ideas and solutions that could work for multiple, mm. you know, houses and multiple people, and also to have the um, the environment to 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 run them by, you know, a whole lot of different people to test them, to yeah. get feedback, to make adjustments, and to come out with um, you know some really what we think are some really good pieces of design, um, and then to have people move into them and say, God, this works, or I really like my house, or it's warm and dry, I've never been in a place like this before, or... There's so much know. light. Yeah. And, um... and it's, and you you can you can actually get a lot out of working with a group in that way, and I think architects, you know, we, um, we're, we're too, we're too used and adapted and trained to just go off and, and sort it all out. Um, and then to present and try and convince mm. people to do stuff, um, and um, or you know, or convince a developer to do something who's then got to sell it. Mm. You know, we're a lot. We can be a long way away from mm. from where things end up. Um, yeah, we are. This has, I guess, been a process that's a bit more the halfway in between because we did have clients, and I think that's the big difference to from doing a buy off the plan project or you know just designing a complex like this and then let people buy it when it's uh, finished is that people were a part of that process but it also you know that's both obviously can be challenging to get a lot of feedback but it's also great because you do get feedback of actually you know the, we have got quite a few different unit types and sizes but we did try to uh, you know maximize on having some uh, repetition it was in some respect a bit challenging because we had quite a awkward shaped site but that has also added you know 
to the place being more interested. We have a wide mix of units from uh, one studio unit, quite a few one bedrooms, two bedrooms, three bedrooms, and then one, four, five bedroom. Um, but that whole thing of how the got how it, when 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 it got to working out who is going to be in which unit, it had not been decided at an earlier stage. It wasn't until the whole complex was was designed. It because it had it was again that was a decision. Something we spoke about a lot. That that feel of we need to make sure we you know, if you already had labeled you are here and you are there. Of course, that happened a bit with some of the units, but once where. Um, in general, it was about all the two bedders need to be a good two bedder that mm. everyone mm. Feel, feels good about. Well, every every unit is a good unit. We did try. We made sure that every unit worked. But then, there <clears throat> then there's ground level, first level, and then upper level, yeah. and then there's units that are um, that are terraces, and there are units that are that are slightly detached in sure. the walk up building. But that was uh, us as architects. You know, we obviously have you have to kind of mentally move into every single unit and feel, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. what would it be like to live here? But you know, it's not everyone that has that. You know, not everyone here was architects. We do have quite a few uh, couple, but uh, mm. that that feel of being able to translate the plan into fully understand what uh, what it is is this like and what would I where would I prefer to be? Mm -hmm. I think it was more to make sure we kept it all open that we all everyone was helping each other to make sure the whole project yep. was as good as could be yeah. but, but when it came to it we did agree on a system where you know if there was ever a chance where two people wanted the same unit then simply the the person who had made a commitment first to the process and the group was first in the queue right so and and we didn't have disagreements when it came to it that um, people realized or we all came to a rational point of view um, and you know there are probably a lot of people would have liked to live on the top of that building if they'd been given the choice um, but we just had a simple system for for ranking um, when it came to that are they valued differently do people pay more for you know did you put values on them before well, you, you have to, you have to yeah yeah, yeah. For, so for um for bank funding right so it's been valued three three times right and um and so that those values were used yeah for right. um body corporate contributions so what? two people might have been looking for one of the top units and it wasn't like they could outbid the other it was, it was a fixed yeah okay right. yeah and were you the actual design and presentation process who who signed off and approved to go to that? What was that process to go, okay, we have agreed this much and we'll go to the next level of detail? Were you, or you, were you not even working in that way? Oh, we, we did have a... Well, we effectively split between, we sort of had a had split a steering role. group. Um, yep. But the, in the, the lead families, David and Georgianne, because they were not designing, they could be more like, they could approximate a client figure. We were designing, so we were the architect. Um, we could get rapid decision making from them, if mm. you like, officially, when we had to. And they and act, they act on behalf of the group and that capacity. Well, we, we all do. I yeah. mean, but if it you depends wanted, on which stage. If to you wanted it, 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 it's 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 really important, I think, to have a non-designing 
um, you know, co-partner, mm-hmm. um, like someone who's in a completely different world mm-hmm. of priorities from, you know, the architect. And we did, we had that, which was excellent. Um, but we were continuously presenting to the group. Right. Um, and, you know, broadcasting, um, having meetings. We had um, private um, briefing sessions with every single household, usually two. Um, so that they could be, partly they could be, they could fully get into the detail of what um, was being proposed, um, and also just to um, give feedback privately, um, and for us to get to know each other really well. So that when we're trying to make a design decision on behalf of twenty units, we've met everybody. Mm. We reckon we know what's going to work. Or we've got a good chance of knowing what's going it to work. It always depended a bit on what decisions they had to, you know. There was a weekly meeting, a Monday night meeting with a steering group. There was a monthly meeting with the, the whole group too. So that it was, a, I guess that was our point of putting things out to these are, you know, we have to make a decision whether we are using this material or this material or facade. Um, you know, is it aluminium windows, is it timber windows, this is the implication in terms of cost, maintenance, so on, and presenting that to the client body and then come to some sort of agreement. And if, when there were things where they needed a final decision, it would be the steering group or uh, I think the, it was David and Jadan ahead, but I don't think we really ever had decisions that came to sort of down to that pinpoint of... Right going against um, it I mean that's part of the probably a little bit more, more long-winded um, I mean the truth is I mean the way that it worked in, for us was that um, the the initial families put in all the capital um, to to buy the site and to fund the development um, up to um, up to resource consent so we technically didn't need to get anyone else to agree because no one had made financial commitments. Um, by the time then people were um, were um, making legal um, promises and, and um, having to think about actually spending money, the project was set up. If you like, we had a we had a basic design. You know, we had a basic number of units and sizes, and I think people were really keen. By then, you know, by then they were going, "Wow, mm. you know, we really want to be in this." No question. Even though they hadn't had to spend anything, um, so there was a there was a tremendous amount of goodwill, trust, and momentum at that point. Um, I so mean, there have obviously there was through in that process until we got to the point where we people had to sign and pay the 20% deposit. There was a change too of some members in the group, you know, people who yeah. realized that actually, oh, we haven't actually are in our dreams. We want to be living there, but actually the finances didn't quite stack up or realizing, God, I, this thing where I haven't got full control onto all my own life, uh, mm. I'm not sure this is for me or people need to move away and so on. So there was a, a change, but um, in the process, but we did have a core of people who goes right back to the, the early days. Now that you've done this, how optimistic do you feel about its possibility of being 
rolled out a model like this being utilised more, not just in Auckland, but in other cities around the country, do you see it as a distinct possibility or is this kind of like a miracle? No, I think there's, there's, a, there's great uh, possibilities in New Zealand, so I can't see why this is only a model that would work well in Scandinavia, across Europe, uh, in America, where Australia, um, where, you know, places that all have had very successful um, variations of co-housing mm -hmm. rolled out. I think that there's lots of different shapes a co-housing project can can take, in, you know, in lots of the classic Danish versions will often be built more in, on the outskirts of towns where you then, where the land is cheaper and you will mm -hmm. have the benefit is then having a lot more uh, open land, having a much bigger shared uh, community um, uh, house that will work for lots of activities and shared meals and so you know that there's how much or how little you end up doing as the shared part of it um, can vary from project to project. Mm. Uh, for us here, it was important to be. Uh, within uh, biking distance of the centre of town. Um, that again sets, I guess, some uh, kind of idealism of what this development had as a, you know, of if you're really, you know, if you need to have your, your double garage and two cars, well then this particular place mm. is not for you. Uh, Quite a few people here have lived abroad, uh, you know, mm. both. I mean, when we lived in yeah. in London, you know, we did have a car, but on most, you know, I still have got good friends back in London that are professionals at our level and don't have a car. Uh, that is something that feels completely alien to some people in mm. New Zealand. I think that's something that if that Auckland Parade can benefit in the inner part of the city to get a little bit more accustomed to mm. that. Um, I mean, I think there's no there's no real reason why a small sector of car housing couldn't develop. Are you designing other ones yourselves now? Um, we are not, not at mm. present. Um, as, as it's about like-minded people, well-informed, educated, um, with land and money. I mean, those are the critical things, um, doing something together. And no reason why there isn't um, a a modest number of people in New Zealand who mm. can't get together to do that. I think that's one side of it. And the other side is just showing what um, good community-focused medium-density housing can be mm -hmm. in New Zealand. Like, it doesn't matter who does it, you know, whether it's Kainga Ora or um, a, a good um, not-for-profit developer, if there was one, um, or a co-housing group. This is what we can build in New Zealand with New Zealand resources and in the New Zealand environment. And why not? You know, why can't we have more of these qualities? Because um, I think you can sum it up uh, a lot of the differences and the benefits to the people living here is that it is really very sustainable. Like we have, we have um, much greater use of the resources that we're here to start off with. We have much lower energy use. We have much lower waste. We have people sharing things, working mm. together. Um, so as a future proofing, um, as a future-proofed um, quality living environment, you know, I think projects like this have a lot to demonstrate mm -hmm. that, that should be transmittable to housing everywhere. 
You've described a process that's quite intimate in terms of how well you've come to know the people who've lived here. Has, it, has anyone moved out and someone new moved in? No. <laughs> <laughs> Only no. one, uh, one unit due to changes in family and bringing two families together and uh-huh. feeling that they then they need a bigger house. Benjamin. Oh, God, sorry. Yeah, the, yeah Benjamin, the villa. Yes, yes, sorry. He, um, he needed a bigger place. <laughs> Yeah, but no. It's so not not you know we have we we are still to have some who moves out because they feel unhappy. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I guess that wasn't why I was asking. It's more that um, you know what what would the process be? Um, joining, you know, jumping on the moving train that you have here as a community. Well, that 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 is something that was talked a lot about too, and where we did you know. Well, we make have, but we have had. I mean, we've had people. We've got someone staying here at the moment who lost their flat um, in the floods and has taken advantage of someone else who's who's on a long um, working trip in the US at the moment. So um, Katie's moved in, and after a few weeks, you know, she's starting to you know take part in, in a few things, and everyone's you know we all know who she is and she knows who mm. we are. So it's not that difficult um, if you are if you are open to um you know to some of your to, uh, open to a lot of interactions when you're coming and going from your unit if you're open to you know people sharing the same bin people sharing the same car park i mean if you can cope with that mm. you know <laughs> it's, it's not it's really not a big, a big ask. it's not no. a big ask no it also means that there are people who maybe would have normally think oh do i need I really need to have a three-bedroom place if I am to both have a, you know, an office and a bedroom and but a guest room and so on. Um, quite a few people that were on that two or three bedroom say would end up. With, we have a shared guest room here. So and that, one of us has to take Santa to swimming. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quarter of an hour. Okay. With, remember that. I've only got one more question. I think. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we wanted to ask you the. There was coverage of the development in Architecture New Zealand and we all shared um, your response to that because we found it fascinating. Um, you can, I think you can describe the tone of those articles, but um, essentially it was an architect critiquing the building and suggesting things it could have had and your response saying, this is what the people who live here wanted and so we designed it for them. And I wondered if you could talk about that and also the gap it showed to me, as I read it, in terms of architects architecting and maybe not asking enough questions of the people that are living in their buildings or the distance that exists mm. between those two things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 we thought it was a great architectural yeah. conversation. We and yeah. we talked about yeah. it a lot. But it's so rare to have, like we talked on the street, it's so rare for there to be a, a critical dialogue here, particularly here in New Zealand. It's very rare. Well, we it was that was funny because we, because um, I mean most of the architecture news in the article was great, um, you know we were really pleased with it, and then and if you the comments we were all scratching our head and going what? <laughs> this was suggesting that there should be a roof terrace and yeah. we should have a roof terrace rather than a, a, the garden house sitting in the middle of the courtyard, which we have spoken we spoke lots about and thinking actually. No, we need to stand up for that. Mm. We don't. We don't agree. And actually, um, but it did take that, us. 
It did take it, a bit, you, you think, and you... It took a long time to figure out really what we wanted to say and, um, and, 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 and how to say it, because um, I think one of the things that I um, struck me about, um, about the, the, the criticism of the project was that it, it, it had pre, some preconceptions in it, which we had tested. Like we had, we, we had been through that preconception about, oh, a rooftop terrace is the way to go, or you need a solid balustrade, or all that. We literally examined it with the group and come to a different solution. So we knew it didn't work. Mm. And, and we were thinking, well, how, much, how many other architects designing apartment buildings also use all these preconceptions that they've never tested and they never go back to the building afterwards and ask people, well, what do you think of X or Y or does this work? And that was more what I found interesting. You know, I mean, there were some philosophical, philosophical things as well, where I was like, well, tomato, tomato, you know, that's how you want to design things. But I think that sort of, that real closeness to, to um, design solutions that really help people to live well, um, I think is, um, it's kind of what was at issue. Hmm. Yeah. It's a special position to be in to be designing for 19 of your neighbours, yeah. future neighbours, and have that, that Have those people dialogue. to ask. Yeah. 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 Also yeah, a bit daunting, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. But the yeah. sort of the, presu- yeah, the somewhat presumptive, it's, it's like saying, you know, I would have got your wife a different birthday present. Like, you went through the process. <laughs> you knew you knew your clients. I, it was brilliantly written. I'm not surprised it took you a long time because um, I would have written a much more hasty and defensive sounding <laughs> response. It's very well, it's very measured. And you make a comment about looking. The primacy of looking, I think, is the term you use. The obsession with looking. Well, I mean, for us having the garden house in the middle of the courtyard means that it has, it's the... It's kind of the heart of mm-hmm. of the community mm-hmm. space, but it's really important too that we don't feel overlooked by the garden house, and that the garden house can feel private too. Had the shared space been a roof terrace, we would have had a great place to have great barbecues and parties with a great view of the city, but you would not have seen it in use. I dare mm. to say, at least that's the very uh, classic experience from Copenhagen Council putting they don't put any funding to project like that because the spaces sit empty in Copenhagen it's a rule they don't give any uh, funding if there's not at least two functions both the social side of it and then that needs to be a laundry or something that brings people up that like Araha by Jess Max uh, it's there needs to be something that brings people there Mm. and here having our shared space in the garden is i'm um, you know have living here I, you know i love when i get up at the third the top floor and see the view and think god they're lucky to have this view over the city but i have lived in apartment blocks where if you just made it up to the top roof terrace it's once or twice a year you're doing that mm-hmm. and i can tell there's no one here who's only in the garden house once or twice a year. Mm. Mm. Has it made you better architects, this process? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it's been, we've, 
we've um, stress tested a whole lot of ideas that you know we've been picking up through our careers um, about how to do housing. Um, you know, in full collision with with a contracting process, um, we we brought it in. You know, under budget um, at the end, we had money over um, that we could spend on on adapting and improving and developing stuff in the common areas. Um, so I, it's been a brilliant, you know, process as architects. Seriously stressful at times, um, but I also, um, you know. At a philosophical level, I would say that with all the challenges that we face um, in our built environment and in housing and with climate change and social inequities, it's, you know, you could say it's high time for some return back to some of the high functionalism or the, the functional, the, the value of the functional philosophy of architecture that, that did exist through the post-war periods, you know, the 50s and 60s. Mm. Um, some of the great, you know, the great age of Scandinavian design, which they call functionalism, you know, which used used the way things really worked and then made them beautiful. I think we've lost sight of that in, in a lot of our housing, you know, that we're interested in, in compositions and surface effects and um, marketing images and, you know, glossy tiles and all that sort of thing whereas you know a return to some of those philosophical foundational ideas could really help could you know could improve our, our housing delivery well i mean i have to say for something incredibly functional it's it's very beautiful and it's been a delight being here with you and talking about the process Thank you, Tom. Helen, thank you so much. Um, yeah, thanks very much for your time. Thank you for letting us into your um, apparently curtainless home. <laughs> so we talked about privacy. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, what a wonderful, what a wonderful community. Thanks very much. I'm sure our listeners will love this episode. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.